tonight, uh, while he was under the influence of some strong medicine and, and in a fair amount of pain, as I remember. So uh, I gave him a chance later to back out, but he, he stood by it. So we'll do our best. Here we are. As I've said in times past, uh, always uh, consider it an honor to be here, an honor to teach you. Um, but more than that, it's, it's a responsibility. And I think that, that sometimes we somewhat unknowingly uh, benefit from, from what pastor does in the pulpit here. There, there's not been a, a, a pastor or a, a man of God that I've known that has been more careful about who he allows to stand in this place and speak to the people that he leads. He is very selective in that way, and he's very careful about what he says. Now, sometimes we may not always feel that way. Sometimes it, it may, what he says may anger us, or sometimes it may rub me the wrong way. But generally speaking, that means that I need to change. I don't know how you feel about that. That's kind of the way it is with me most of the time. But I don't think that, that we should take that lightly. He takes this, this task, this pulpit, very seriously, and he's always been careful. His stance has always been that the, the spirit of the speaker should be subject to the, to the office of pastor and that authority. Honestly, it's been uh, some time since I, I've spoken to you in this venue. It's actually been a little over two years, and uh, that's not anybody's fault but my own. Um, so I'm a, I feel like I'm a little out of practice, but I do have something to say tonight that, that I think is important. I think it's for us, and I think it's for us at this time. Um, and, and generally, if I don't have anything to say, then I will decline the request to speak. This is not one of those times. I feel like I have something that's for us. I think there are people here that need to hear what God's given me, and I'm going to do my dead level best to do that. The reason that I believe that so strongly is because of how I've come to this place. It's because of how I've come to this information and to this inspiration. I didn't find this somewhere. I didn't read about it in a book or see it in a video. Um, I didn't read it in my morning devotion. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those things. You should all be reading. We should all be reading. We should all do devotion, daily devotion. Maybe we shouldn't all watch Facebook videos, but, you know. But my point is that um, this is personal to me. It's personal to me, and that's why I feel so strongly about it. I've debated a little bit about how to arrange what I'm going to share with you today. And uh, I, I've kind of settled on just giving you the story part first. So if you'll bear with me, uh, I'll get to that in just a moment. But I, wanna under, I want you to understand where I'm coming from. Before I do that, I'm, I'm going to go a little old school here and ask you to stand. We're going we're gonna to read the word, and uh, let's, let's stand for just a moment out of respect for that. I'm going to start in the book of Isaiah, the ninth chapter, and I'm going to read from verse... Six, And this is a very familiar passage of Scripture to you all, especially around Christmas. 
It is not Christmas. I am not suggesting that it should be Christmas. I'm just reading a verse that normally we read at Christmas time. So keep your trees in the closet for the, for the moment. The Bible says in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And then secondly from Mark chapter 4, I'll begin in verse 35. Again, another very well-known scripture setting. The Bible says, In the same day when the even was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was, into the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest not... Carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What matter of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I want to title uh, my effort tonight, The Prince's Peace. The Prince's Peace. So, some time ago, hard for me to put dates on things. I have a bad memory, but I don't know, maybe a year ago, eight months ago. Just started going through something in my mind that that probably we all go through. The thing about my little mind crises are it seems that they are worse than the actual crisis in my life. Now, my family has seen its uh, fair share of difficulty. We've had all the usual stuff. We've had financial trouble. We've had marital crisis. We've had a kid crisis or two here and there. Kind of all the usual things, but the truth of the matter is Those things did less to me to wreck me than the stuff that's just in my head. Does anybody relate to that? It's the stuff that's just, it never comes out of my head. That's the dangerous stuff for me. And I I, I started into one of those periods when, when I had a lot of questions and there were no answers to be had. And uh, I, I guess that I made it through, so to speak, but at some point during all of that, My biggest request to God was that he would show me something, that he would give me something to hold on to that I could feel, that I could see, that I could perceive in my body. Because although the the spirit is very real, it ain't real in the same way that my fingers are. 
I wanted to feel something and, and, and see something. And I'm not sure that uh, God agreed with me at that time, but it was one of my requests. So fast forward some time, I, I lived through my little mind crisis. And this summer, on uh, July the 4th, I was home alone. Nancy was at a camp meeting with our children, Eli and Ella, I think. I can't remember if Cole was there, but nobody was home with me. I had worked that day, uh, was Thursday. I had worked the Wednesday before. And I determined that on Thursday morning, I would get up kind of at my own leisure, which means sometime right before daylight, and uh, I would piddle around the house, and then I would go to work by myself which is quite therapeutic for me. I, I, it was the 4th of July. Nobody would be calling. There would be no business to be done. I could just go do, like, I could do something on a machine for half a day or so, kind of at my leisure, and just enjoy my day. And that's uh, ultimately what I did. But I got up right before daylight, just kind of woke up on my own. I went into the kitchen. I made myself a pot of coffee. Where you at, Nancy? That's amazing. She didn't know I could make a pot of coffee. Made myself a pot of coffee, poured myself a cup, took my phone uh, outside with me, and, and uh, my dog, our dog, Coco, followed me outside. And I pulled up my favorite wicker chair, the rocking chair I like to sit in, and, and just at the very back of our house, the very end of the porch, there's a little barbecue pit area, and I set the chair right there, and I sat down, and I read my Bible like I do every other day, 15, 20 minutes worth of Bible reading, Put my phone up. Coco has made her laps around the yard. Now she's interested in hanging out with me. So she jumps up into the chair with me, Jason. And she kind of snuggles down between my left leg and the side of the chair like she likes to do. And I'm just sitting there enjoying what is a pretty morning. Wasn't too hot yet. But then something happened. I've not really told this story to anybody. Nancy hasn't heard this story. I told Brother Murphy about it not too long ago. Something happened. Something changed. The best way that I can describe it is that the whole world stopped. Everything that I would normally be hearing on a morning at my house went completely silent. The wind didn't blow. The, the birds were not chirping. Everything stopped except for the sound of the fountains in, my, in our pond. It was so incredibly peaceful. And even, even my face felt like it was somewhere that it had not been. My face felt like it wasn't in the air, like no air was touching it. And I don't, I'm not sure how long that lasted, but we sat in that chair, me and Coco, for about 35 or 40 minutes, just enjoying the peace. And, and, and I think, as silly as it sounds, the dog even felt it, because Coco doesn't sit in one spot for 30 minutes, ever, much less on your lap. I'm telling y'all, the dog stayed there until I got up. And, and what I determined from that was that it was the thing that God got my attention with. I had asked for something, and this was his response. This was the thing that he gave me to get my attention. But here's the thing. 
peace is not really a thing. I taught a lesson here uh, many years ago, and, and the title of it was Ditches and Doubt. And, and the whole premise was about the fact that ditches are actually nothing. I mean, we label a ditch a ditch, but a ditch is the presence of nothing. That's what a ditch is. Well, if you look up peace, you'll find descriptions, you'll find definitions that say the absence of strife or war or whatever it is. But what I'm going to teach you about, what I'm going to attempt to show you in the Word of God is that peace is not that. Peace is, in fact, a thing, and it's a God thing. It's not, it's not nothing. It's not you existing in a vacuum. It's, it's not that at all. Peace is a thing that God made. And at least on July the 4th, on, on Cryer Road there in Watson, I got a little bit of it. And it left me wanting more. I want to experience that again and again and again. And it's not left my mind from that day. I want to teach you today about peace. The Bible is, is filled with mentions of the word peace. In the, in the King James Version, at least, the, the word is used more than 400 times. And it seems to me that, that the concept of peace is one that God is intent on us learning, understanding, and living in. Peace is not a little thing. Now, I found it to be somewhat telling that in the passage we read from Isaiah, that the Bible concludes these five descriptive statements of Jesus' coming with this phrase, the Prince of Peace, that he would be called Prince of peace. It says he would be, you remember, wonderful. He will be called counselor. He will be called mighty God, everlasting father. And then finally, prince of peace. In the first three phrases, in my opinion, we find things that are very godlike terms. Let's start with wonderful. His being called wonderful speaks to the, to the idea that uh, he has the ability to create awe in us. It may, it's, it's, it's a human condition, wonder is, because it's in your mind. When you are in wonder, you are responding to something, and that's what this is really about. When, when we really meet Jesus, we attain or achieve or get into a state of wonder. His presence covers your mind and infiltrates your physical body. And your response is one of awe, of wonder, of not understanding. It's a beautiful thing and hopefully it leads to submission. But we recognize in that time that we are really small. And we also realize that God is really big. And then maybe you, you look into a star-filled sky at night and you understand that Jesus is incredible because he just spoke words and all of that just happened. He spoke to nothing and then nothing had to obey and become something, if you will. And then you think about all of the processes 
on earth here that are just so microscopic, just all the way down to the, to the atomic level. I mean, it's just the smallest stuff that there is. And you think the God, that same star God that's magnanimous and glorious, can make himself just perfectly small and precise. And he can create any of that stuff and make it work like clockwork predictably. When we meet him, he is going to be called wonderful because he is wonderful. What about counselor? When we think about the nature of God, it's hard to separate his omniscience or his all-knowingness. This is what I think of when I, when I read that and I think that, that God will be called counselor. All knowledge begins with God. And there's no existing piece of knowledge of anything that he does not possess. He's experienced every single place in every single moment of time that ever was. My grandpa used to say that, boy, there's nothing like experience. There's no substitute for experience. Well, God has experienced everything in everywhere whenever there was anything. So he's got a lot of experience, and there's, there's simply no thing, no place, no time, no circumstance, no feeling that you could possibly have that he isn't intimately familiar with. That's what a counselor needs. There's nothing you can live through that he doesn't know. He will be called counselor. And then there's the mighty God. Now this one, I hope I don't hurt y'all's feelings with this one. If I do, forgive me. I think that this is the most relatable description. I think that we all seem to latch on to the idea that God is the mighty God. And I think that the reason for that is, is because that's the thing in Him that we would like to be the most. I don't know that anybody really would aspire to be wonderful in the way that God is wonderful. I don't know that we would lay in bed at night and think, if I could just be counselor, like God is counselor. But we would all love to be mighty. That's the, the, the powerful thing. That's, it, it's the engine. It's, it's what the carnal part of us really wants to be. So it's the thing that we spend the most time considering about God. The thing is, God is mighty. He is powerful. The thing about power is power is about choices, and God has all the choices. He can choose any path that He wants to. He, he, he can change the course of anything. He can create he can destroy. The only limitations that, that he has are the ones that he sets for himself. And I, I, I'm pretty sure that that logic brings us back that he doesn't have any limitations. He is the mighty God. And he is mighty and he is powerful. And I can understand why that's there. That is definitely true. And then we get to the fourth thing, the everlasting Father. And here is where 
in, in my mind, we start to change direction a little bit. On the surface, the everlasting Father is, is, a, is a, something that feels a little more human because we're fathers. We can relate to, to being a father. You can relate to being a mother if you're a lady here, maybe. Fatherhood is kind of a natural state. You know, once a man sires a child, he's a father. He's labeled as a father. But God is the everlasting father. Fatherhood, in its core, in its basis, is creative, right? Without a father, a child cannot be produced. There is no reproduction, no replication. There's no advancement of, of humankind. The difference, of course, is that us humans, at least, we're not fathers forever. There's a, there's a point in time where we're, we don't get to be fathers anymore. I'm going to keep this real G-rated, okay? But there's a point in when, a, when a lot of us choose not to be fathers anymore. That creative part of us goes away. It gets cut. But God doesn't do that. God is always what a father is supposed to be. He's always the creator. He's always developing and protecting and teaching and loving and all the things that a father should do. God never stops doing that. He can't, and therefore, he is the Father who is everlasting. And then finally we come to the Prince of Peace. And this is what I'm aiming for tonight. The Prince of Peace, as a description with these five others, feels the most different to me. The first three are kind of in a group by themselves, and the second two kind of stand out. This one stands out the most. And it's because on some level it almost seems redundant. It seems like it would fit in something else. He's the mighty God. He can change anything. He can do anything. So if he's the Prince of Peace, then that kind of ought to fit in that subcategory, being that he can, he can change and he, can, he has his power is able to create and destroy. But the Bible calls it out as different. And it chooses to finish that's important. Listen, y'all. It chooses to finish with the statement that says that he will be called the Prince of Peace. Why not the Prince of Power or the Prince of Knowledge? Or why not just call it the, the Prince of Everything that ever was? All of those things are equally as true. But he didn't. It's the Prince of Peace. And I, I'm submitting to you tonight that Peace is a big deal to God. Peace is a big deal to God. Peace isn't just a nice thing for us to experience. Peace isn't something that happens by default. It's not, as I told you earlier, not the absence of something. But peace is a thing. It's not just a pleasant experience for us. It's not just for the physical part of us. Peace is spiritual. Peace is what God is interested in producing. Stay with me here. I know that as we live our daily lives, 
That process is not full of peace. Now, there can be peace in it, and there should be. But what I'm saying tonight is that peace is the end game. Peace is where God is bringing us. Peace is His desired place for us. It's what He wants us to have. And it isn't that God couldn't create peace, complete and total peace, with, with a spiritual finger snap. He could. He's that, that powerful and He's that kind of God. But within the framework of what He's doing in people... Remember, he's, he's creating a bride. He's creating a church that will worship him in eternity. Think about that. God is going to have countless millions together in one place with each one of those millions having its own distinct, complete, and total free will. But all the wills are going to line up. You find me somebody else who's done that. Find me another one who could get two people to agree. That's what God's end game is for us. He's making us come together. He's making peace in our existence as people. That is supernatural. And in my opinion, only the Prince of Peace could accomplish such a thing. Let, let me give you some supporting evidence for all of this from the Bible. There are many instances of people invoking peace from one to another in the Bible, but there's always a reason for it. Let, let's look at the pattern. In, in Genesis 43, we learn uh, about a portion of the story of Joseph and his brothers, and we don't have time for the whole thing, but just, just trust me that Joseph's brothers had reason to be fearful. They had a good reason to be scared. But it says, the Bible says in verse 43 that they were approaching Joseph's house and they were fearful and they were scared. And, and the steward of his house says this to them. The first words he says are, Peace be to you, fear not. Peace be to you, fear not. Then in Judges chapter 6, Gideon comes face to face with an angel and apparently he has reason to be fearful. He has reason to be scared. The Bible says in Judges 6 and 22, And when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. Gideon thought he was going to die because of what he saw. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not. Thou shalt not die. Note the connection between fear and peace. Then in, in Luke chapter 24, the followers of Jesus, again, have reason to be fearful. I think it's legitimate. They had a legitimate fear. They, were, they had seen Jesus hang on the cross, and they had seen Him die. They had seen him removed from the cross and sealed in a tomb. And then all of a sudden, there he was in front of them. And they were scared. Would you be scared? Probably. Y'all go ahead and nod. I know you would be. And Jesus said in, in Luke 24 and 36, And as they thus spake, Jesus himself 
stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? Why did, why did thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. In these examples, you see that there's a connection between fear and peace. It's undeniable. In, in the, the scripture that we read in the open, where Jesus was in the boat and the apostles were fearful of what was going on with the storm, they thought they were all going to drown. That's why they said, Jesus, don't you care about what's happening to us? They wake him up. And what is his response? Now, what, what they did was question his power. They questioned his mighty God part. But his response wasn't a mighty God response. Y'all with me? A mighty God response would have been for Jesus to say, Oh, you, you think that's a storm? Let me show you what a storm looks like, boys. And he could have done that. But it wasn't a mighty God response. You see, it was a Prince of Peace response. Jesus looked out and, and in, instead of escalating the situation to make his point, he looked out over the water and he gave them what they needed. They were scared. They needed peace. He called out to the water and said, Peace, and there was peace. In all of those examples... Peace is the power that combats fear. I think that there's people here tonight in the room who struggle with fear. I think that there's people watching on live stream tonight who struggle with fear. I think, I think that there's somebody that will listen to this later on a podcast who will identify and they, they know in their heart that they struggle with fear. It's not that your fears aren't legitimate. They are. If you're scared, it's legitimate. It's, it's not wrong to be scared. It's a, it's a natural response. People are fearful of all kinds of things. Fear was introduced to you at some point in your life, and it got a hold of you. You're, you're scared of what might happen, and we're, we're scared of what could happen, and, and we're, we're even fearful about our own value. We, we think that we're not good enough for Jesus. Some of us fear that we, we might not make it to heaven because we're just not good enough, and we've just not done enough, and we've done too much of this and not enough of that. We're fearful. But I need to plant a hard fact in your mind tonight. I don't want you to forget about the prince's peace. He can be the mighty God for you. No doubt. He can be wonderful. He can be counselor and he can be the everlasting father. But sometimes what you need is a prince of peace moment. You need, 
Him to look out at the waves that you think are going to kill you and let Him say, Fear not. Peace be with you. He's that God just as much as any of those other things. He's the Prince of Peace, God. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Peace begets those things. He didn't bring you here for you to be scared. I'm talking to somebody tonight. It's just me. It's just old Brian. I've just been where you are. Been scared. But listen, there's a Prince of Peace moment if you need it. You might be looking for a mighty God moment, but you might need a Prince of Peace moment. I'm here to convince you tonight that, that peace is God's product. It's His product. It's the thing that He makes. Listen and remember what happened when Jesus was born. The Bible says that an angel appeared to Mary and Joseph right after Jesus was born. And, and it says that they were sore afraid. Now bear in mind, this is the virgin mother of Christ. And the angel, had, an angel had already appeared to comfort Joseph at a different time. But here, the baby's been born. Another angel appears. And the first two words the angel says, you know what they are? Fear not. Fear not. Then he makes, he makes the announcement, the angel makes the announcement that this day they'll be born unto them a Savior in the city of David. And then the Bible says this in Luke 2 and 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. That strikes me as so powerful because you guys understand, Jason, you understand that this is the announcement of the coming of the most important human that will ever live on the face of the earth. Everyone, knowingly or unknowingly, will be affected by this. This is the coming of the plan of salvation. This is the thing that will, will create a path between earth and heaven for people where there's really not a path. This is the ushering in of an age of grace. This is the thing where they said, this is happening. Imagine of what all could have been said in that moment. There could have been a lot of mighty God talk then. There, there could have been some everlasting father. There might have been some counselor. There could have been all of that. But what was, what was the heavenly host saying? What did they say first? Glory to God in the highest. And then, and on earth, peace, 
goodwill toward men. This is why that I'm telling you guys that peace is God's product. This is why that I'm saying it's the end game for him to give you peace. They could have said a lot of things that would have been right. They could have said how powerful God was and how smart God is and how creative he was. But I don't think those people needed a mighty God moment. They were scared. They needed a Prince of Peace moment. I think that there are so many of us today that need that Prince of Peace moment. We just, we don't, sometimes we don't know what to ask for. I certainly don't. But what we need is not a demonstration of His power, but just the presence of His peace. Because it, it quells everything in our minds that we worry about, that we fear. Fear is not a place that we're meant to live in. Peace is the place that God wants you to be in, and it's because you'll worship Him when you're in peace. That morning on my back porch, I couldn't help but just pray and thank God for the peace that I was feeling. That peace, again, it arrested my attention. It, it's, it, it just got a hold of me in the moment and made me just sit and watch and pray and say, thank you, Jesus. I didn't know this was what I needed, but I'm so thankful that you know what I need. God is good. Can we just lift our hands right now? Pray for peace in the house. Pray for peace in our church. Pray for peace in our city. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We adore you and worship you tonight. We know that you are mighty, God, and we are grateful for all that you are. I'm so thankful, Lord, for all that you are. You are, you are good, Lord, and you are merciful. You are also fierce, God, and you fight for us. But, Lord, I'm thankful for the peace that you offer. I'm thankful for the peace that you offer me. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We praise you and adore you. Praise the Lord. I'm done, folks. I appreciate your attention tonight. We pray that you continue to go in peace. Continue to pray for pastor, as Jason said. He needs peace. Sister Murphy needs peace in their life tonight. He needs he needs the pain to subside a little bit. And I will say just, just, just in closing that I've spent a fair amount of time with him since this happened. And Glenn Murphy practices what he preaches. I've really not heard him complain once. He's been pretty positive through this whole thing. So just bear that in mind. Bear that in mind. We love you folks. Grace Church is on the rise. Things are awesome here. We wouldn't want to be here without you. Thank you. Y'all have a great week.